Welcome to War Stories from the Womb. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm an economist and a writer and the mother of two girls. Few of us enter pregnancy and delivery with a crystal clear picture of what the experience will be like the first time. In some ways, this makes sense, given that everyone's experience will be unique in certain ways, depending on their health, their age, their partner, their history. But the distance between the narrative today's guest received from her mother and her actual experience can only be measured in light years. To be fair to her mother, who gave birth in the 50s, it was a very different time in maternal care. But carrying this version of the story, among others, can have real consequences. If not for how her own delivery developed, it has the potential to affect how she understood her own experience. So let's get to her story. Hi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can you introduce yourself and tell us where you're from? Sure. Uh, my name is Corinne O'Shaughnessy. I'm not really from anywhere, but I've, I've lived in New York City the last 30 plus years, but I've been living in Mexico for the last six months. Wow, that's fun. How's your Spanish? It's <laughs> not nearly where I'd love it to be, but it's, it's definitely better than when I arrived. That's awesome. Wow. I'm totally jealous. <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk about the family that you have created, but let's also talk about the family you came from. So okay. did, you, did you grow up with siblings? I did. I am the, I'm the uh, seventh child. So I'm the youngest wow. of seven. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That feels like an accomplishment in itself. <laughs> Growing up with that many siblings, did you say, I, this is the kind of family I want? I want to have a lot of kids? You know, I knew from a very young age that I definitely wanted children. I definitely knew that seven was a little much, but I, I had hoped for three or four. Definitely. How many years between all of you? Are you guys close together? It was very, very, very close. Yeah. All seven were about two years apart. Wow. Yeah. That seems kind of awesome. Was it chaotic or was it like... Maybe yeah, it wasn't so awesome. I would love to say that it was, but my mother, there's a line in Hannah and her sister's my, my parents loved having children. They weren't very much interested in raising us. And that's kind of what that would explain my family as well. Ah, how, how many, <laughs> what's the gender spread? Yeah, that was a difficult thing too. There were five girls, then a boy, then me, another oh, wow. girl. So yeah. Wow. That sounds like a busy house. Yeah, it was definitely busy. Definitely. So because you're the last child, it seems like you don't get to see your mother be pregnant. No, definitely didn't. Definitely did not. So before you got pregnant, what ideas did, about pregnancy did you take to that event? Well, my mother, interestingly, had uh, multiple sclerosis. And after she had her second child, the doctor said, don't have any more. So then she had five more. But Wait, that I, was, let me ask a question. Um, I'm also an autoimmune, a member of the autoimmune club, but not that uh, one. Okay. But so some autoimmune conditions are made better by pregnancy and some are made worse. Well, that was the thing. She felt much better when she was pregnant. Yeah. So she had very fond memories of being pregnant. And also this was the fifties for the most part when she was pregnant, I was born in 60, the two oldest in the late forties, but the whole, you know, that's when they still told women to smoke. So you wouldn't gain weight. Oh, you wow. Know, 
have a drink, no problem. My mother loved martinis. So pregnancy was a, a whole different experience for her than, than for me. God, that's super interesting though, right? It's totally different. Totally different. Totally. I, I interviewed my mother who's about to be 80 for the wow. Thanksgiving episode. And uh -huh. she was talking about how there was literally, I think her pregnancies with us, which were in the seventies, uh -huh. were the cusp of technology. Yeah. So for example, like there, there's no pregnancy tests. So you know that you're pregnant because you don't get your period again for a while. Right. Right. Like, seems right. Insane. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's true. So did you think pregnancy would be easy based on your mother's experience? I did. And what was a little bit more shocking is I thought birth would be easy because <laughs> I'm not kidding you. She told me she used to get very angry when there'd be a show on TV and there'd be a woman giving birth either in the next room or you'd see their face screaming and yelling and sweating. She'd go, oh, it's not like that. It's not like that. I was reading a magazine when I gave birth to you. So I went in thinking, well, if my mom, who was not physically strong at all, had no problem, then this is going to be you know, maybe not a piece of cake, but I'll certainly, I'll certainly be okay. So before we get to your birth story, have we circled yeah. back with mom to say, like, did you have ether or what, what were you doing that made it? So I think, I think she was knocked out. I yeah. mean, I mean, if she was reading a magazine, I don't know, maybe, or they certainly numbed her from the waist down or something, but it also didn't really portend well for how excited she was to have me. <laughs> I bet it was a really important issue. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's very funny. It's a very interesting story to bring to pregnancy. Did you, did you get pregnant easily? Uh, yeah, we actually, we weren't trying, we were married and we wanted to have kids someday, but it was a little bit of a surprise. So good. Yeah. Well, so at least that part's easy. Check. Oh yeah. That was super easy. And then what's the pregnancy like? Is that also kind of straightforward? Uh, it was straightforward. The, the first three months I had just started teaching at a Bronx middle school. So I was exhausted beyond what I knew exhaustion existed of. Like I would come home and think, oh, I'm going to grade some papers and I would pass out and like literally wake up in a pool of drool on the <laughs> So. Yeah, that was that was something. But by by the mid point of the of the pregnancy, I felt I had a little more energy, and I was very lucky. I didn't have um, like throwing up or nausea or stuff. Certain smells I didn't love, but I was very lucky. That's awesome. So I know we're going to talk about the birth. So so let's go to the day that your child is born. How do we know today's the day? Like what? Oh, and what did you? What birth were you were you imagining? You're going to be reading a magazine. No, I did not imagine that, but I imagined one with no drugs. Okay. That I would, you know, because I had midwives. I was very fortunate to just accidentally sign up for a man, ob gyne who used midwives. And I actually never even met my ob gyne because wow. you only met her if you had problems. If you didn't have problems, you, you just stayed with the uh, midwives. 
So they had talked to both my husband and I a number of times about what your options are when you go into labor and all that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be fine. I'm no drugs. I'm natural. It's all going to be great. Yeah. And so what happens the day that your child is born? So the day he was born, I had gone to, he was at this point, it was 10 days past my due date. Wow. And I had gone to the doctor the day before my midwives and when I was and everything looked fine, but nothing had started yet. And I just, I'll never forget the receptionist giving me a, an appointment for the following week. And I was like, what? I can't go another week. Are you kidding? She's like, well, you know, well. so the following day at night, I was crawling into bed Uh, My husband was out Christmas shopping. This was right before Christmas. And I was in bed reading a magazine and liquid spurted out from between my legs. And I thought, oh, great. My water's broken because I had the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And I read that religiously, like over and over again. And I went to the bathroom and I was bleeding. And I looked that up. And they're like, very dangerous, call your doctor immediately. And I was, you know, obviously first child, my mother was actually came down to be with me, which was great. And my husband had just gotten home. And I think as soon as the liquid had shot out, he's like, you know, the midwives told me to get my rest. So he went to sleep right away. And I read that. So I called my midwife and she just talked to me and she said, I need to talk to you for a while and hear your breathing. And she did everything by, by listening to that. She goes, you know, I think you're okay. We don't know why sometimes women bleed, but I think you're okay. Um, So just try to stay home, relax at home. It's much easier there. So how do we feel about this? Because if I'm bleeding 10 days after my due date and someone says, it seems like you're fine. I'm going to need more than that. I was totally panicked, but my my mother and my husband actually had very similar personalities. They were both like, well, if the midwife says, you know, and they both went to sleep and I was panicking by myself. And then I, (laughs) I started to have the labor pains and those were like by the third labor pain. Literally, I was like, oh, I'm going to need drugs and I'm going to need really strong ones really quickly. So I called my midwife back and I said, I'm in labor. And she's again, she talked me through it. She's like, stay home, stay home. I was like, no, no, I really think I'm going to come in. And I woke my husband and my mother up and neither of them moved very quickly or thought anything was going on. And we're kind of like, yeah, you know, well, doesn't she want you to? And I was, I was the one who was like, I got to get to the hospital. And so we did, we, we, we went to the hospital. Yeah. I'm on fire just listening. So (laughs) I, I just, I can't even imagine, you know, someone moving slowly around me in that, in, in what should be a fire drill. Exactly. Uh, That's what I was thinking. Absolutely. So when you get to the hospital, what happens? So I got to the hospital and by that time I was literally like drugs. I need drugs. I need drugs right away. Corinne has written about this aspect of her birth experience, this part where she's trying to manage her pain. Her piece is called Apology, and it's sort of a letter to her late husband, who she refers to in the piece as you. I thought I'd include an excerpt here to more fully flesh out the change in her state of mind. 
I don't even take aspirin. I told our midwife, Susan, I'm totally going with natural. You, Susan, and I were reviewing the drug options available while giving birth. The natural childbirth, no drug route, was safest for the baby, but not so easy on the mother, Susan said. Not so easy for other mothers, I thought. I'll be fine. I was the friend my other girlfriends called when there were no men to help them move from dorm to rented van or apartment to apartment. I was clearly descended from peasant stock, not royalty. Some women opt for a painkiller like Demerol to take the edge off. The mother still feels the contractions, but it's distanced, Susan continued. Distanced? Please try to make sense, Susan, I thought. If you still feel pain, what's the point? And then she cautioned, it can slow the contractions, prolonging labor. Oh, then really, what's the point? I'm going with natural, I repeated. I don't want to do anything that may harm the baby. I had had a terrible bicycle accident a decade before. I'd been pedaling quickly home from a maid's job and foolishly let my squeegee get caught in my front tire. I don't remember falling or where I'd been all day. I remember being aware I was sitting in the street blocking traffic. I knew blood was gushing from my face, and I remember thinking, stand up, you're causing a scene, just get home. But I couldn't find up. The doctors in the emergency room stitched up my face and told me I was in shock and had a deep concussion. How much worse could giving birth be? I thought, as Susan continued explaining possibilities. I just want you to know all of your options beforehand, Susan continued. You can also choose an epidural where a needle is inserted into the mother's spine. It numbs her completely from the waist down. You knew how I felt about needles. An epidural was not on the table. I'm going the no drug route, I announced again. And she was like, well, all right, we'll give you a shot of, we'll hook you up to an IV. I'll give you a shot of Demerol, but we really want you to stay on your feet. Well, this was like 11 o'clock at night. I had just started to go to sleep for the first time. Actually, by then it was about one in the morning. And I was exhausted. I was like, I need to lay down. So I laid down for a while and she gave me a shot of Demerol. And I'll never forget a woman came in, you know, people keep coming in the room to um, take information. And she says, what's your job? And I was like, well, I'm a teacher. And as the Demerol went through my veins, I was like, and I'm going to tell my kids, don't do crack, do Demerol. Because <laughs> it's amazing. Because I was like, so like, I just remember the sensation of I've got to get out of my body. I have to get out of here. This body is not working for me anymore. It was just that like sticking your hand in a flame. It was like, you have to get it out. And the Demerol took that panic away, which was amazing. And then I was, I kept bleeding. So they brought in a doctor because everyone else was a midwife to do a sonogram. And it was so interesting because as soon as a doctor walked in, the whole mood and feeling in the room changed. But he did a sonogram. He said, everything looks fine. You know, we don't need to do anything, even though they didn't know why I was bleeding. And so I did that for a couple of hours. And then the Demerol wore off and my midwife came in and she goes, you're not dilated enough. You have to stand up. You have to start walking around. And I was just like, what? And my husband picked me up, held me up, and we just kind of slow danced to to I Love Lucy reruns on the TV. I remember that. And I was so exhausted. And I just kept, I remember I, I kept biting his shoulder because he said, squeeze my hand, but I didn't have the strength. 
I didn't realize how much strength it takes to be in pain. Yeah. And it was just debilitating. So when I was biting him, he kind of was like, he said to the midwife, do you have a towel? And he tried to put a towel on his shoulder. And I was like, the towel didn't do it. I didn't want to bite into a towel. I needed his flesh. And I remember sinking to the ground and just having my arms around his ankles and saying, I can't do this. And I was screaming for an epidural at that point. And um, my midwife is like, oh, just another 45 minutes. (laughs) But thank God in like, I don't know how many more minutes I finally found, felt the urge to push. And once I could push, everything was, you know, everything was fine. It wasn't easy, but it was way better than just being in labor and those horrible pains. So you ended up not getting the epidural. I didn't get an epidural. I had one shot of Demerol, but I literally spent the whole time thinking, why isn't the entire world made up of single children? I was just like, no one in their right mind would ever do this again, ever. But, but you have more than one child. Yeah, I have two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll get to the second one. But so the birth, you, you're successful with the birth. I was successful, no complications. My mother was there. She was able to cut the cord. And she did say to me later, I didn't go through anything like you went through. So I'm thinking she definitely just was given a ton more drugs. And that was also back when they kept moms in the hospital for like a week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember reading about moms who considered the hospital a vacation from their kids at home because people weren't taking care of you. So I can see why there's like a rosy glow around that experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what's the fourth trimester like when you get home? Is that smoother? Um, like the recovery. Yeah. The, that was interesting. (laughs) The hormone part. Um, I'm not a crier in general, but I was just, I would sob. Um, like I'd get exhausted and my husband would say, well, give me the baby, go lie down. And I'd be like, I can't, I can't have him in another room. I have to, you know, he'll be so far away. And I would just blubber. And it was just kind of like looking at myself, like, what is wrong with you? Um, So I do remember the hormones and crying a ton. And also how your whole world changes because now it's all about protecting this tiny little incredibly vulnerable thing that you love more than you knew love existed. And how are you going to do that? You know, how are you going to protect them from cars that jump the sidewalk or a bomb left in the mailbox? Or, and I remember feeling like physically I was going to have to do that and, and would figure it out. You know, it does feel like a changed perspective on the world around you. I, I remember crying when my newborn got wet in the rain. You know, I was with my mom and I was like, it's raining on her. And she's like, she can get wet. That's like one of her tricks. Worry not. So I I totally get that feeling. So then how do we get to another one? If the feeling is I'm not doing this again. Because you love that baby so much, you know, and honestly, I would have liked to have had three or four. So after a while, yes, the pain the thoughts of that pain and the memories of that pain never, ever went away. And I 
think about it every time, literally every time I see a drug addict, I do go, okay, I get it. I totally get it. You just need to get out of your body. Whatever's causing that pain, you, you didn't find a different way, whatever. And then I just adored children and endured being a mom. So eventually, you know, they're four years apart. So it took a little while not to, to get pregnant again, but to be say, okay, let's do it again. And we got pregnant again. We didn't have any problems with that. And then the second pregnancy was pretty much like the first, although not quite as bad in terms of exhaustion. I don't know if that's nature saying, oh, this poor woman's already got a kid. We can't let her get as exhausted this time. But um, yeah, so I made it through without too much trouble with that one. And was the second pregnancy and delivery easier than the first? Because you kind of knew what to expect better? It was. And I think my body... You know, it's, I feel like it's kind of like the first time you blow up a balloon, it's really hard. And the second time it just kind of, you know, does its thing a lot easier because I didn't have any drugs the second time. I still, you know, begged them to kill me and, and wanted it to be over. <laughs> Save the baby, just kill me. <laughs> I, I did that both times. But this, yeah, so he was he was an easier birth in that, although he was, the cord was around his neck. So that caused tension and scariness at the very end. And they whisked him away the second he was born, whereas the first child I could uh, just, they just flopped him on my belly and I was able to hold him and try and nurse him right away. So. Were you able to watch the experiences of your sisters? Does any, did anyone else have kids before you? No, I wasn't. I was able to get to the hospital after my uh, one of my sisters gave birth, but I was not there participating because they were giving birth early 70s when that kind of thing, like people weren't, you know, even husbands, I don't think, yeah. like in the room and stuff. And then my second sister lived in Los Angeles and I was in uh, on the East Coast. And then she ended up having a terrible like two day labor And then eventually they did a C-section. So I wouldn't have been around there for that either. But so it sounds like it sounds like no magazines in the second generation. No, exactly. Exactly. No magazines and no prepared speeches that were like grounding in reality either. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. So you you went in a little bit blind with what was on TV and what your mother said, which are two very contradictory stories. Exactly. And my Bible, what to expect when you're expecting, which was helpful, but you can't really describe that kind of pain. I don't think it's, I think it's very hard for women to understand, or at least for me, I I've been lucky with good health and whatnot. So t- this whole idea of thinking I have to get out of my body now that took me by surprise. I really had never experienced anything like that. Yeah. I think, I think usually for pain and other difficult experiences, we analogize, but I'm not sure there is any appropriate analogy for childbirth. Right. So. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. You just can't describe it. All I could say to men in my life was think about a muscle cramp and like multiply it by a million. And that's kind of what a labor pain feels like because it, it is, it's just really hard to explain what happens. 
Yeah, it is a it is a hard thing to put into words. I totally agree. Yeah. So having had these two experiences, looking back, would you have advice for younger you about maybe how to manage things differently or? Yeah, I think I would just, I think I would not have been so much, oh, I'm not going to do drugs. <laughs> I would say if you, you know, don't, don't do the whole like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm really strong and I don't need to, you know, just go in and say, yeah, I can use that. And then my midwives had told me, if you can stay on your feet, stay on your feet. And I just, I, which I was able to do with my second son. And that helped a lot because I went into labor towards the morning with my first son. I was just ready to go to sleep. I was exhausted before I even started labor. Yeah. So I would, I would say those things. Don't be afraid to ask for drugs. And if you can stay on your feet helps a lot. So the, it sounds like the first one, I guess what's confusing me is they didn't give you drugs either time, even though it's, it sounds like at some point you asked for them. Other the first time I got one shot of Demerol. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I understood their reasoning. They're like, the more drugs we give you, the longer it's going to take you to recover. And I, I get that. But with my first son, I, I felt great right away. And with my second son as well. I mean, I, w- I would forego that. I would, I would take time to recover, to not experience quite the extreme of pain. Yeah. So what you're saving is the recovery right after birth. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. For me, I, I did. I, and I was so elated. I had like a rush of hormones, I guess, of like, you know, that was just this incredible miracle in your arms. It was very, yeah. I felt like I could jump up and dance a jig right afterwards. <laughs> did you do the whole breastfeeding thing or? I did. I did with both boys, but not as long as other friends, because both my boys got very active around nine months old. So they'd literally want to nurse for three seconds and then crawl away and then come back and then cry. And I was like, yeah, okay. I'm not the 24 hour deli. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and did you have writing you wanted to share on this topic? Well, the writing is not exactly, it's, it's related. My husband ended up passing away from drug addiction and I didn't connect it. He was so supportive and so there for me when I was in pain, giving birth, begging for drugs. And I didn't reverse that when he was going through his travels. So that's what my story is about. It's about me giving birth and then him eventually confessing that he'd been doing drugs all along in, in secret. And then he, uh, you know, he lost his battle and that I think about giving birth now more than before, because I just remember I would have done anything for drugs at that point, anything, you know? And so that's the story that I, that I wrote. Well, that sounds like a powerful story. And uh, I'm so sorry about your husband. It does seem like there's something beautiful in your ability to connect to that, that feeling of desperation in someone else that I think most people can't connect or write it off or, you know, this is my way to make sense of all the anti-vaxxing and all the, all the stuff of, of the pandemic is that these people have never experienced you know, a medical situation that's gone sideways, something right. There's some 
so they have no way to connect to the fear that people have who are staying home and getting vaxxed and doing all that stuff. Right. Um, right. And it is, so it is like valuable for you to have this experience to say, I, I understand it and I don't condemn you necessarily. Like I, I get where you're coming from. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's all starts out with me giving birth and making fun of myself because I was miss. I'm not going to do drugs. And within minutes I was like, give me drugs. So, and then it gets into him talking, you know, finally saying, you know, I, I do drugs all the time. I, hide it from you. I don't know why I do it. You know, birth is a transformative experience that leads to many other things. So it doesn't have to just be about to be just about birth. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm grateful to talk with Corinne and listen to her story. There are so many inputs into our images of pregnancy and birth. And it's really interesting to hear about the ones that played a role in her life and how she managed her deliveries when her expectations clashed so immediately with her lived experience. Thanks again to her for sharing her story. Corinne has written work all over the place, and I'll put some links to her work in the show notes, which you can find at warstoriesfromthewomb.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another inspiring story.